Let's open in a word of prayer. Abba, Father, Abba, pour out your grace, I pray. Move in this place by the power of your Spirit. Father, you know. You know where each heart is. You know their struggles, their pains, their joys, their frustrations. Father, speak to each heart. Clearly, I pray. Abba, open up the Word of God to us and teach us. Leave something here in our hearts that will stay for the rest of our lives. Father, speak to us to be more free with you, more loving, more gracious, to be more like Jesus because of what we hear today. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to share with you today a, a, a message entitled, A Blind Eye and a Deaf Ear. This is adapted from Charles Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students, a book called Lectures to My Students, where he was actually teaching students in the ministry. And so it's from about the 1880s. And so for the background verse on a blind eye and a deaf ear, it's Ecclesiastes 7, reading from Ecclesiastes 7, verse 21. Ecclesiastes 7, 21. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servants cursing you. Do not take seriously all words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servants cursing you. If we listen too intently to things, we will hear things that it's better that we didn't hear. And in fact, the next verse goes on to say in verse 22, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 22, For you also have realized that likewise you have many times cursed others. Who of us? in a time of passion, in a time of anger, has not said things that we should not have said. And even about some of our dearest friends. Even the people who live with us don't always speak great things about us. So why should we expect that others would say great things about us all the time? We need what is entitled here, to have a blind eye and a deaf ear. And we will find that that is often the best eye and the best ear that we have. You know, I hear college students sometimes, they say, you know, my, my parents said something very, very mean to me. I said, oh, really? Well, you should hear some of the things that my children have said to me. What parent has not undergone pain because of the things that their children have said to them. Sometimes my child might say something and I just want to somehow divorce them. And my wife reminds me, that is your child. That's your child. Let it go. Let it go. How we need a blind eye and a deaf ear to just let it go. To walk in forgiveness and let it go. Who of us has always said things flattering to God? But even God exercises a blind eye 
and a deaf ear and looks at us through the, through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a blind eye and a deaf ear toward gossip. It says in James, James chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. James chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. So look what he says. He says, humans can tame anything. Humans can get control of anything. But their own tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. And so as for gossip, what can't be cured must be endured. And the best way to endure it is to not listen. I remember once, 20 years ago, I was in a, we were in a church and a man, there was a little bit of a spat that arose and some of the people were upset with the pastor. And one of the, these people came to my home and he wanted to share with me all the things that went on. He knocked on the door and he came and he says, you, you know, some things are happening in the church and I want you to know about it. I said, wait a minute. I don't want to hear it. You can just leave now. You can just leave. That was the best thing that I ever did. I didn't want to hear a negative word about a man that I loved. And this little group, they ended up leaving and they ended up going on their own and it didn't last very long. They just kind of petered out and, and uh, this, this young man who had come to see me had regretted it. Now, I was not an elder. I was not a deacon. I was nobody. Just thought that that I was somebody. The best thing that one can do for a gossip is send them away. Just send them away. To have a blind eye and a deaf ear can be the best eye and the best ear that we have. We have to have a blind eye and a deaf ear to things that don't concern us. To things that don't concern us. It says in Proverbs 26, verse 17, Proverbs 26, verse 17, like one who takes a dog by the ears, is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. You'll be bitten. It was none of your concern. Even Jesus stayed out of things that he felt were not of his concern. A man came to him in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. A man came to Jesus and said, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother. This is Luke 12, 13. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Is there anybody who could have known better how to divide a family inheritance or how to deal with it than Jesus? This is the Son of God, you know. He could certainly have arbitrated and come in and said, look, look, here, here. You could give a little here and all this would be better. But he said, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he just gave a teaching on greed. He said, just check your heart. Just gave a teaching on greed, but, greed, but he would have no part 
of inserting himself in things that were not of his concern. This works very well in extended families. I remember once my my sister-in-law wanted me to come in and there had been a real rift in, in the family and she wanted to come, me to come in and deal with, with a brother-in-law and, and, and I said, I'll have nothing to do with this. I'll have nothing to do with this. I know some really good counselors I could send you to, but I'm not a counselor, I'm just a chemist. I'm in trouble with molecules. You know about human behavior, that's a really tough one. I mean, molecules at least follow rules of science. You do this, they'll do it that way, every time, exactly as they should. People, it's, it's hard to predict. Go to a professional counselor. I'll have nothing to do with that. And I knew if I had arbitrated on her behalf, he would have been upset with me. If on his behalf, she would have been upset with me. Deals with churches, too. You know, if... if if you have Lystra or Derby, why bother yourself with another's Philippi? Why deal with it? You know, there, there's, a, there's a pastor in town that, that different churches like to... I've heard even pastors speak about this other pastor. And every time I hear this, it, it just hurts me because I know that other pastor. And uh, he's never been here. But I say, why do you say that about that man? I, I know that man. He's been to my home. He's been to my office. I like him. He's a friend of mine. I say, well, he doesn't teach you. I said, I've heard his teaching. I don't attend his church, but I've heard his teaching once. Didn't bother me. I thought it was actually pretty good. So you want to scrutinize everything? Not everybody agrees with my teaching. I don't even agree with all of my teachings. I don't. Because right after I've said something, I'm like, do I really believe that? If you speak enough, you know what I mean. If everybody were to scrutinize every one of my words and every one of my teachings, you'd find a lot of heresy, I'm sure. I mean, you can mess up, you know. If I messed up, okay, correct me. Why do you pick on this guy? Leave him alone. We need to learn to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to things that don't concern us. It'll save us from a lot of trouble. It really will save us from a lot of trouble. I see this, I see this in the university. An email will come out and then somebody randomly just starts inserting themselves in this situation. I'm like, whoa, this is not going to be good for you. It would have been much better if you just deleted it. Just delete it have nothing to do with it. We need a blind eye and a deaf ear to things that don't concern us. Or it is as if we go by and we take a dog by its ear. Just let it go. Let it go. We need a blind eye and a deaf ear to things that might draw our suspicion. You know, suspicion makes a man a torment to himself and a spy toward others. Many friends have been transformed from being a friend to being an enemy by suspecting them. It's better to be deceived a hundred times than to live a life of suspicion. As if this person means me wrong, this person means me wrong. We hear one little word of criticism. 
just a small negative critique, then we become suspicious. Oh, this person, they don't like me. Or they're trying to torpedo whatever I do. It's just a little negative critique. I mean, we all need negative critiques sometimes. You know, we're not popes, so we're not infallible. I mean, this is going to happen. We need to be. You know, those who criticize us are probably no more mistaken than those that praise us. Try to win your critic by being doubly kind. You know, there were, there were two men in the university that I had appealed to them at one point. And they said some really unfair things that I thought, thought were really unfair. And rather than to separate myself from them, by the grace of God, I just started to, to reach out to them. Just befriend them. Really stop, whenever I see them, to stop and purposefully be kind to them with double kindness. I've won them. I've won them. Did you know sometimes your biggest critics can become your best allies? If you treat them with double kindness, you can really win them over. This happens in ministries, for example, to young men sometimes in ministry. They think, oh, that person wasn't good to me when I first started. Well, they weren't good to you because they didn't think you had it in you to be a minister. Well, now you've proven yourself. He can become your best advocate now. Open your heart to him. We need to have a blind eye and a deaf ear to small little criticisms. I mean, a friend is supposed to speak things negative sometimes. They can become far better for us than those who speak well of us all the time. We need to have a blind eye and a deaf ear to opinions and remarks about ourselves. If any of you are public, men or women, expect public scrutiny. And expect to be criticized in ways that are neither fair nor pleasant. This is what comes with being a public figure. Sometimes people will come and say to me, oh, you know, somebody wrote this thing in the paper about you. You need to confront this. There was this, this letter written to the school newspaper. I said, I'm not going to read that. You're not even going to address it? I said, not that I'm not going to address it. I'm not even going to read it. I don't read the school newspaper. I was talking to the president of the university one day. I said, how do you deal with... Can you imagine being the president of a university? Every negative thing you're spoken about, every, every nuance of every word that you say, is written about in the paper. And uh, I asked him, how does he deal with it? He says, oh, I think it's funny. It just, just rolls right off the guy. And then there's the whole back page at Rice, which is satire. So they take it and they use it as a way to just attack everything. If you are a public figure or you aspire to be, you're a CEO, you're a COO, you're, you're moving up in a law firm, you will be critiqued. And it will be neither fair nor pleasant. It used to be the press that could really be unfair. When I was talking with a news reporter and he was asking me things, I said, you know, I'm, I'm almost scared to tell you because, you, you know, the way you might wrote, write about this. He says, have I ever written poorly about you before? I said, as a matter of fact, yes. 
But the press is nothing compared to the internet now. Now, anybody with a terminal can become a blogger if they're swift with their words. And there are all sorts of things that can be written about a person on the internet. I don't even want to search it out. Sometimes I've come across things that are written about me, and I look at it, and then I click on it, and I'm like, wow, this is so wrong. They've so associated me with this. But how can I fight this? You will never have enough time on your hands to fight all the high school students that have lots of time to sit at a term, to, to sit at, 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 at a keyboard and type away. Never. And the more you fight it, the more it will go on. You leave it quiet and you don't deal with it and it starts to go away. But you know, if you dwell on high with the great shepherd of the sheep, you hear a lot less bleeding of the sheep. You dwell with the shepherd. It says in Romans 15 verse 4, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If we would learn to get in the scriptures and make this our focus, let God critique me. Make this your focus. You'll be able to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear a whole lot easier. And if you're a public figure, it doesn't stop with you. They'll go after your family. They'll go after your, your spouse. They'll go after your children. It comes with being a public figure. We need to have a blind eye and a deaf ear to opinions and remarks about ourselves. But if we become carnal and walk as men, we will have little rest. For example, if you think that you're going to impress that young woman by showing road rage as you're driving down the road, you won't. Let it go. Somebody cuts you off, let it go. Let it go. If you become carnal, you will hold on to it. Treasure the sensible critic. You know, a sensible, critical friend will be far greater blessing than the, a thousand undiscriminated, undiscriminating admirers. Your college students sometimes get intimidated when I speak and they don't critique my teachings at all. So I'm teaching the Bible, they don't come up and say, you know, you were kind of wrong on that. Once a, a man came and he started attending my class. He wasn't supposed to be in there, he wasn't a college student, but he started attending. He was about my age and every time after my teaching, he wouldn't say anything in the middle, he'd come up and he'd start to give me pointers about things that I could have said better or things that I said wrong. And I really came to appreciate that man. I really did. He wasn't right on everything, but with many things he was absolutely right. You know, I want to become a better teacher. I want to become a better professor. I want to become a better public speaker. So when the university offers programs where you sit with professionals and they film you and you, you teach on a topic that they just tell you right there, and they film me, and then they critique me, or when they, they have these little things on how to deal with the press, I want to know how to speak to the press. I want to know how to have control of an interview. So I've attended these, these little short three-hour classes on how do you work with the press? And they film me. 
I appreciate that, because they say, look at this, we asked you a question, every question that was asked of you, you repeated. What are you, a parrot? I said, no, I'm not a parrot. Well, you're acting like a parrot. I needed to hear that. I want to become a better speaker. So this, this man would come to me after my teaching and he would say, you know, I remember I made a comment once. I, I made a comment to the students. I said, you know, the most godly men that I know pray on their knees. He came up to me afterwards. He says, how do you know they're the most godly men? How do you know? Because they told you they're the most godly. How do you know they're the most godly men? And he had a point. I had no idea if they were the most godly men. He was right. Those that critique us, those that give us critiques, can really become some of our, our, our greatest assets to have. Really is good because so few people will speak into our, our lives anymore for risk of, of, may, of, 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 of offending us. Remember, I, I once went up to Frank Jones and I said, would you speak into my life? Tell me when I'm doing something wrong. I need somebody to speak into my life. Nobody's doing this. He's never spoken into my life. I don't know what's going on. No, I'm not doing everything right. But we need that. We need to learn how to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to things about ourselves. When they're, they're rude and, and, and harsh. But critiques are really important. We need to have a blind eye and a deaf ear to false reports. You know, unfortunately, liars aren't yet extinct. And some of us will be accused of offenses which our souls abhor. But don't be staggered. They did the same thing to Jesus. Jesus was attacked all the time. Don't be staggered by them. The best thing to do is to do nothing. Let it go. Let it go. In almost all cases, the wisest thing is to let it die a natural death. It's like a big fish out of water, just flailing. But it rapidly dissipates. I'll tell you, you try to take on bloggers, you try to take on the internet, you will lose. Because the people who win are the people who have the most time on their hands. They have nothing else to do. And remember, there's millions of them. Just let it go. Just say nothing. To answer it is supplying it with its element. And it gives it more life. You know, some falsehoods carry their own reputation. They, they have a stink about them. And that rottenness comes through that any honest knows. It really knows it. once read this, this article on, on uh, interviewing on professional interrogators. And what they did is they took several professional interrogators and they had them watch interrogations. And they were to assess whether the person was lying or telling the truth. So they weren't the interviewer. They could only stand and watch the film of the interview going on. And they had to assess whether the person was lying or telling the truth. They were right 17 out of 20 times. But what's interesting is that every interview was done in a language that they could not understand. So merely by the facial expressions of the one being interviewed, 17 out of 20 times, they could correctly answer whether the person was lying or telling the truth. 
We have within us an ability to realize when a person is sincere or not. And we try to, you know, flush that and think, oh no, he wouldn't be lying to me. But God has given us a sense. When a man lies, his face begins to change a little bit. Because it's doing something it was never made to do. The liars, the lies are betrayed. If you're disturbed by them, their invention is partly answered. But if you let it go, if you silently endure this, it disappoints malice and you have now a partial victory. There was once a a sensitive, youthful minister. Somebody had said something slanderous to him and he just demanded an apology and he threatened a lawsuit. This man apologized and the apology was quite sufficient. But the youthful minister demanded that this man put in the newspaper a public apology for what, what, what the man had said, or else he would go through with the lawsuit. So the man put it in the paper. Well, this youthful minister, for the rest of his life, was saying that was the worst thing that he ever did, because many people that never even heard of them, the slander, now became aware of it, and then thought, well, if it went to this extent, there must be something behind it. It would have been much better had he let it go. Now, once I... I sent out a message to my colleagues in, in my department, to the whole department, to the student, graduate students and to the professors, inviting them to an event that I was, I was putting on where I had invited Hugh Ross to come to campus and speak. And uh, uh, um, now Hugh Ross speaks about one of his topics is intelligent design, but it's, it goes far beyond that. It's much more intelligent than just intelligent design. And... and uh, I went into a faculty meeting the next day, and, and uh, it wasn't all the faculty, it was a subset of the faculty, there were about 15 people there. And, and uh, um, one person before the meeting started said, I can't stay in this room after what Jim just did. It didn't faze me a bit. Because I didn't think he was talking about me, I hadn't done anything. He said, after the email that he sent, I can't even stay in the same room with him. Looking around for another gym, is it? it could be me. I wasn't even thinking about the email that I had sent out the day before, inviting people to an event to hear about intelligent design. And he got up and he walked out of the meeting. And then everybody was looking at me and I gulp. It's me? You mean that little email yesterday? So then the woman running the meeting asked to go around, and this is not what the meeting was called for. The meeting was called for a different topic. Everyone to go around and to speak about what they thought. So each person went around. Now, all these assistant professors ran out because they weren't about to, to tell me what they thought of me. And one woman said to me, and you, you terrified me. I said, when did I terrify you? When you gave me that Bible four years ago. I gave you the Bible four years ago. I don't even remember giving you a Bible. But I could have. I give out a lot of Bibles. But I terrified you? She said, yeah. It's just like my mother. Another guy came to him. He said, there are three axes of evil. Holocaust denial. Child pornography. 
an intelligent design. Whoa. Only one person came to my aid, and, and he was the, the, had been the dean of students, and he said, look, it's just a matter of free speech. As long as he doesn't have a differential of power forcing people to go, just free speech. It comes up in the university all the time. The other people weren't nearly as convinced of this. Well, anyway, I, they, they demanded that I go and apologize to this guy who was so offended, who spoke his piece and then left the meeting. I should apologize to him? He said what he said, he left. I didn't say anything to him. I didn't get a chance. Well, he, he, uh, he said I had to apologize. So I went back to my office. I called him. He, he wasn't there. I left him a message. I had to leave for California. Immediately, I had to go to the airport. And it you know, really weighed on me. But when I got to California, I was praying, and I was there in a hotel room, and God shared with me a verse that just really comforted me. Matthew 27:19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. And the Lord spoke to my heart. That man who said this about me, he's not going to sleep at all tonight. So I went to bed, I slept like a baby. In the morning I was checking my email. There was an email from this guy. He had written it to everyone who was in the room, who was in that faculty meeting. He said, I wrote a long email justifying what I said. But I couldn't sleep all night, and I've deleted it, and... I'm here to say, I never should have done that. It was so wrong of me to say that to Jim. He's been such a great colleague. I came back to Houston and, and uh, I saw him in a seminar and I walked up to him and I said, look, it's okay, don't worry about it. I am the master at saying things that I regret. Don't worry about it. That man has moved up in the administration of the university. He has become my greatest advocate. When my grants last year were in real trouble and I was out of money, he was putting money into my account because he had some funds that he could move there. That's what a great advocate he became. You be kind to those who come against you. You'll have great advocates. This works turning a blind eye nine out of ten times. There are some occasions where there's a distinct public charge with distinct accusation that must be addressed because if we don't address it, then it's as if we are guilty. For example, if there's a charge of embezzlement or adultery with specifics that this is what you have done, I must request the specifics and then I must bring in the evidence to show that I wasn't there, to have an alibi, to say that this couldn't have happened. That nine out of ten times you turn a blind eye and a, and a deaf ear. But when there's a specific charge, a specific accusation, then we address it. You know, David, let me close with David's blind eye and David's deaf ear. Psalm 38, verse 12 through 15. Psalm 38, verse 12 through 15. David said, those who seek my life, Psalm 38, 12, those who seek my life lay snares for me. And those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction and they devise treachery all day long. Now, David has people coming against him like I have never had. All day long they plan to destroy him. I don't think anybody plans very long to destroy me. But David had people planning all day long to destroy him. Look at what he said. Verse 13. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I am a, a, like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no arguments. For I hope in you, O Lord, you will answer. Oh, Lord, my God. He turned the whole thing back to the Lord. He said, Lord, I hope in you. I'm not going to say a word. I hope in you. As we take the Lord's Supper, remember, this is a time of self-examination.
If there's something here where we need to say, Lord, let me learn to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear in this situation, observe that prompting of the Holy Spirit then. If there's someone you need to make a point of winning over because they said something that was harsh seven years ago, or 14 years ago, go back and win them over. Make a point to do that. And as I speak to you, I am being reminded of someone that I need to do that with. I'm speaking to myself. Let's pray. Abba, Father. Abba, work, work in our lives. Teach us to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to things that don't concern us, to gossip, to criticisms, to show double kindness to those who would critique us, to those who would speak harshly against us, to show double kindness, and to receive critiques to learn by them. Abba, work in the lives of these fine people, I pray. Draw them close to Jesus. And I pray in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.